Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast, the show that takes a look at the week that was in rock and roll history in a lighthearted fashion, and you never know, you just might learn something new along the way. Aaron, we were off last week, but we're back. How was your week off? Oh, my week off was okay. You were busy, though. You were painting and getting the house up, uh, you know, ready and all that good stuff, weren't oh, you? Oh, yeah. You know what? I wouldn't wish uh, selling and buying a house on anybody right now. It is absolutely crazy. I know. I know. But you, you know what? Your house is beautiful, and, and I'm, I'm looking at it now, and it looks fantastic, and the door and everything. So, yeah, my week was okay. How was yours, besides painting? Oh, it's good. You know, uh, the kids are good at school, and uh, all is well in the universe right now, so can't complain. Well, I hope you have our learning bell. I sure do. I think we're going to learn a lot of new stuff this week. So let's hit the road. It's a new year and it's a brand new Wayback Music Machine. CD player? Check. GPS? Double check. Roll bar? They're on the way. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we're getting ready for another rock and roll road trip. Are you ready, my friend? I'm always ready. Well, in that case, buckle up because it's road trip time. So we're going to be all over the globe uh, this week. We've got stops in Detroit, New York City, somewhere in England called Oxfordshire, which I'm not sure exactly where that is, but we'll find out when we uh, tackle that story. You think hobbits live there? Oh, they maybe, maybe. And then I think we've got a little side trip to uh, to France for a little public service announcement later. But uh, which one do you want to do first? Where would you like to go? I'd like to go to Detroit first because this is somewhere where you and I are going to be going to very soon, as soon as the borders and everything is open. So let's go to Detroit. All right, let's go. March 13th, 1961 in Detroit. So, Tony, here we are in Detroit because we're going to talk about, a, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word influential, a very influential band that kind of came together the March 13th, 1961. Well, actually, they didn't come together. They auditioned for Motown Records and they were signed. But, uh, of course, we're talking about The Temptations. And, and um, there's one original member still in the band, Otis Williams. And I don't know if you know this or not, but they just recently put an album out called uh, Temptations 60. And I reviewed it for Spill Magazine. It's a very good album. I heard that. Yeah, it's amazing that Otis Williams is still at it, eh? Like, he's 80 years oh. old. Well, you know, this is it. I think it's just in their blood, right? I don't think they can do anything else. I think that's what they do. And, and that's who they are, right? So... Um, but yeah, it's a good album. But anyways, let's go back in time to 61. So that's what, how many years ago? Now, I failed math. You know that. Oh my, um, well, what's that? 70? Is that? No, 60. 60. 60, 60 years ago. 61 hey, years ago. Hey, there we go. That's what, maybe, maybe that's why they have to go Temptation 60. They turned 60. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yes. I can't believe, hey. I can't believe either one of us picked that up. <laughs> I just figured it out. <laughs> Well, you know, this is a, a music show, not a math show. So. Oh, man. Uh, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I cannot do math. So. <laughs> well, now they know that I can't either. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's too funny. Anyways. <laughs> so the Temptations at uh, 61 now. But, uh, yeah, this is the day that they auditioned for Barry Gordy for Motown Records. They were then uh, known as the Elgins, but soon they changed their name. And where do you start? 
with the temptations i mean one of the most successful groups in music history right and known primarily when you think of the temptations right you think of the a few things you think of the choreography the harmonies the wardrobes and the singing and Mm -hmm. amazing amazing and i remember you know barry gordy talking about that and his whole philosophy was because he he wanted black artists to be able to be uh, hit the mainstream and his thinking was that we've got to do it better than any white act can and so he was super strict with his acts and they rehearsed and rehearsed uh, you know he was a taskmaster he was but it, it paid off and i just i want to go back you said something they were called the elgans do you know they had to we, they had to change their name because there was another band at the time called the elgans in detroit oh wow so Barry Gordy, being a taskmaster, said, "Look, we can't. We want to sign you guys, but we can't use the name Elgin's." So, from the get-go, Barry Gordy was—I um, don't, you know—was instrumental with this band, right? Oh, absolutely. And uh, you know, it was just well, it was a factory, right? Motown Records was a was a hit-making factory, and they rehearsed these guys. And they, you know, it's so interesting when you, when you see about the history of of Motown, just how serious he was about putting these black artists together and and so much success in the 1960s unbelievable well you know and you and you think about beyond the 60s i mean they were the first motown act to win a grammy right yep um in 2004 rolling stone ranked the temptations as number 67 on the list of the 100 greatest artists of all time they're in the michigan rock and roll hall of fame or sorry legends hall of fame um, they're of course in the um, Lifetime Achievement Grammy Award, and they're in the R and B Music Hall of Fame. Are they in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Now, there's a good question. I was just going to ask you that. That's a good question, that. isn't it? Yeah, we should check well, on that. If they're I'll, not, I'm going to they... look it up right now. Do you know what they were inducted last year? Last okay. year. There we go. Really, that took that long. Isn't that amazing? They took that long. Yeah, yeah. Otis Williams is amazing. He is, and and he's still writing and producing and doing all that good stuff. Uh, the Temptations, though, what was interesting about them, Tony, is that you know they were they started off in rhythm and blues, but if you look at their career, I mean, they're doing they they invented psychedelic rhythm and blues. They they did socially conscious songs. They moved into disco at points. They did everything. They did rock, straight ahead rock. I mean, Papa was a Rolling Stone. Is a I hear that on rock radio, and as you should, it's a great song, right? Oh, it's a fantastic song. Yep, you know, and uh, I think everybody who's listening right now can can name probably one Temptation song that right off the top of their head. Songs like "My Girl" or, like you said, "Pop." That was a Rolling Stone. Just great, great music. And when you go to the Detroit Rock and Roll or the Detroit Museum, Motown Museum, you can go into this room where they recorded My Girl and the finger snaps, you know? Oh. And there's this echo chamber that's what was originally an air duct. And they just, they put their fingers up and they just snap. Just so, can you imagine, Tony? Oh, hey, I, that's what th- I can't wait to see that. I'm so excited. Just so many yeah, things were, happened there, you know? Oh, I mean... The history of Motown, right? You, you know what? Have you seen the play Motown? No, I have not. That's pretty. It's very good, but it doesn't do it justice. I mean, you look at Motown. You're looking at stuff like, um, uh, you know, the, the Diana Ross of the Supremes. My favorite, the Four Tops. Love the Four Tops. Um, Smokey and the Miracles. And Smokey actually wrote their first hit for the Temptations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that he was. So, a, he was a staff writer. Smokey Robinson yeah. was. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely amazing. And you know, I know a few people who grew up in Windsor and who used to go down to Detroit all the time and catch that music back in the day. And how incredible that must have been just to be so close to that. Well, the, of course, those are the days, Tony, when you didn't need a passport to go to another United you know, States, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you remember those days? <laughs> Hopefully those days come back where at least we can get, get down there with only a passport. But With only a passport, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, this is a band that deserves a great deal of respect. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I've never seen them live, oddly enough. I wish I had, but I haven't. But fantastic band, fantastic, right? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I would have loved to see them live, too. Now, what did you pick for album charts back at March 13th, 61? Well, I went with singles, okay. R&B singles, because I thought, you know, this is 1961, and they were classified as an R&B band. Um, so I thought, you know, let's look at the 1961 charts for the R&B, and it's a pretty interesting chart, Tony, because you got number five is a guy named Bobby Bland, which is a terrible name. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Man. Just, and of course, the record's called I Pity the Fool. Really? Is that uh, um, where Mr. T got the phrase from, I wonder? I, it has to be, right? Yeah. Don't you think? It must it has be. to be. I'm going to Google that later on. Maxine Brown with All in My Mind. Um, Brooke Benton, he underrated. He had a phenomenal voice that, unfortunately, people have, he's kind of gotten lost over time, which is a real pity for my baby. Number two, I know I know you love this woman. I know you love the song. Is Etta James at last? Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Do you know who does a nice version of it, too? Believe it or not, it's Cindy Lauper. Oh, you know what? Uh, yeah, her version's great. I've heard it before. That's nice. So she did a good job. And number one was a guy that we talked about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm still laughing thinking about that sketch. Yeah. I'm not going to go into why we talked about it because, you know, we try to keep this G-rated. But it's... Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Chubby Checker, again, there's so many jokes here. Pony time. I'm not. I'm just leaving it. <laughs> so that's the top five Billboard R&B singles from 1961. And, and you know, I'm going to say this, and maybe this is controversial, but Motown completely, the, the Motown did for R&B what the Beatles did for rock. They Absolutely. It on its, do you agree? Absolutely. Well, and you look at... You know, it was back and forth for a while between the Beatles and Motown, right? Between the Beatles yep. and the Supremes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I just think they, they came in there and they just changed the, 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 well, what was their slogan? The Sound of America, right? Or Young yeah. America. And they were. They were and are. I mean, they don't exist. So, but yeah, your favorite, Stevie Wonder, of course. Like a little Stevie Wonder, right? Yeah, amazing. 12 amazing. years old putting out records. So. so what do you say for our second segment that we hop over the pond to England and we're going to go to Oxfordshire on March 7th, 2017. And this uh, is a sad story, but we have to talk about him, I think. So are you ready yeah. to do it? Always. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Hi, I'm Stella Panacci. And I'm Bernard Fraser from, from Church, Church of, of Trees. And you're listening to Way Back Music Machine Podcast with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Hey, guys. So here we are. It is March the 7th, 2017, and we are in Oxfordshire, England. And for those who aren't sure, like us, where Oxfordshire is, it is a county in the southeast of England. We thought maybe it might be a suburb of London, but it's nowhere near London. So... Um, but this makes sense when you think of the story here. So 
This uh, was the day, March 7th, 2017, that Darren Salter, who was a senior coroner uh, for this area, for Oxfordshire, confirmed that George Michael had died as a result of heart and liver disease. Remember, there was so much speculation about why George Michael died. And just to to refresh for everybody, he had died uh, on Christmas Day 2016, which is just a shock to the whole world. And there were all kinds of speculation. Was it, you know, substance abuse or was it something else? But it turned out that it was heart and liver disease. And I'm going to try to pronounce this uh, medical term. Yeah, I'm leaving it to you, my friend, because I'm not... All right, here we go. Dilated cardiomyopathy. Oh, I think I did well on that one. With myo, with myocarditis and fatty liver. So that was the official diagnosis. He had died at his home. And George Michael, you know, one of the all-time greats, in my opinion. Well, you know, we've talked about the temptations. And here's a guy that was clearly influenced by the temptations. He had that beautiful, soulful voice, right? Absolutely. Um, I, I want you to do me a favor, though. Can you do me a favor? Sure. Can you try his real name? I was going to offer you five bucks if you could pronounce it. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't want all of Greece mad at me, okay? <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> all right, here we go. Ready? I am going to try to pronounce this name. So, George Michael, of course, is his stage name, but he is Georgios Kyriakos Panayotou. And See, I, you did that beautifully. Just rolled off your tongue. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just make sure I stay away from any windows for the next little while. <laughs> just rolled off your tongue, though, my friend. But, you know, I, I was a fan of George Michael from the early days of Wham! and On, you know, um, from the first album, Fantastic, it's called. And then uh, I loved his solo records. I mean, he, he had a huge – why don't you go over some of the numbers, Tony? They're amazing numbers oh, and, and some achievements, too. Well, you know, let's start with the album sales, right? The The numbers. So about 120 million album sales, which puts him right up there with some of the big players in that club. But this one is what I found fascinating. He was the most played artist on British radio from 1984 to 2004. So that's pretty cool. That's very cool. That's a long time, too. We're we're talking that's 20 years, right? Well, that's right. And, you know, his partnership with Andrew Ridgely, uh, um, even though the band only lasted four years, right? They sold 30 million albums in that time, in those four years. And, you know, they were the first Western band to play China. Yeah, and and they said that was just such an interesting experience. You know, trying to even convince Chinese audiences to, to clap. And the language barrier, of course. But there was also just that, that culture barrier where... Chinese audiences weren't used to like a like a pop act playing, you know, yeah. and and the idea that you would interrupt a song with with clapping or whatever they they had a real hard time there. But you know, a, an amazing experience it must have been. But I wonder how you know if they felt like they were being watched all the time, and I don't know. Well, and and there's a documentary that came out about it, and it you can see there's a wee bit of tension. I mean, it's. You know, it's not unlike, who was it, Billy Joel the first to play in Russia? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think he was the first. And then, so it's not unlike that, right? Like, it's, it's they're breaking new ground, and, and they don't know, you know, what to expect and what's going to happen to them and what they're allowed to say and do on stage. And, and um, but they did it. I mean, that, so Wham! Wham! were kind of big time. I mean, I mean, over here, of course, they had the hits, Wake Me Before You Go, Go, and all that kind of stuff. But, but if you're the first band chosen to go into to China, 
um, which at that time no one had gone in. I mean, now I think almost everybody's toured China, right? But yeah. um, and and I'm going to tie George Michael in with Paul McCartney um, during the Live Eight, not Live Aid, Live Eight in 2005. He joined McCartney on stage to do Drive My Car. Yeah, which is a great version of that, actually. It is a good version. Although, if you watch the clip closely. Um, what's funny is that George Michael comes on a wee bit later than he because he thought McCartney was going to say George Michael and McCartney forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so George Michael's backstage ready to run on stage and he's waiting for the cue, which is McCartney saying George Michael. And, and then of course, the song just starts. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he goes kind of running out. It's very, it's very funny. And he also recorded a song with uh, Paul McCartney called Heal the Pain, which was actually an old George Michael song they re-recorded for. Um, his greatest hits album so you know there's a Beatle connection everywhere if you look for it he also had some other great collaborations his uh, I Knew You Were Waiting For Me with uh, Aretha Franklin fantastic song classic yeah. classic classic when I think of uh, George Michael it is his solo stuff that really uh, speaks to me do you remember when uh, Freedom 90 do you remember when that song came out and I picked that for the playlist because oh. I love that song that it funny? is a See, great song yep and it's just talking about all the pressure that was put on him to be a certain way. You know, um, he had to pretend to be somebody he wasn't, right? Because even back in 81, 82, when Wham! first started, you couldn't come out. Oh, gosh, no, no. In fact, they, they concocted stories about affairs he was having and all that kind of stuff. I was sad, right? Because he couldn't, you know, I, th I think it, that weighs on people. when You have to be someone you're not. And um you know, it just, it certainly weighed on. And I, I like a song. He did a song called Older, which is fantastic. Um, yeah. I should put that in the playlist. Great song. Now, do you but, remember um, the, uh, do you remember the video for Freedom 90? Because he didn't want to do a video, period. He was just so tired of all the nonsense. And the, and the label was putting tons of pressure on him to do a video. And he, he, he <laughs> finally decided. things? Well, he, he finally decided, okay, uh, he got a bunch of supermodels to be in the video on lip sync for him. Have you seen that video? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's not in it, is he? Or no, is he he's not in it at all. No, right. doesn't, doesn't right. make a single appearance. You know, just a something different, and it's become iconic now. That video, actually, I just watched that earlier today again, and and uh, it. But he just did not want to play the game anymore. He was so sick of it, and and so sick of being asked to be something that he just wasn't. And Freedom Ninety, I think, was his way of saying enough. Did, isn't it the video? Is it, don't they blow up the jukebox that was in the video for Faith as well? Yes, and the, they and they yeah. burn the jacket, right? They burn That's one right. of his. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's making a statement. Okay, I want to. I'm I'm moving on, folks. I'm moving on. But um, yeah, I remember that video vividly. Now, when you, now that you mentioned it, great video. Oh, great absolutely. Video. You know, and he also had that song. Do you remember? Uh, I want your sex, right? That I think maybe the first mainstream pop song to mention the word sex. And, yeah. and and hit the charts. I think that made it all the way to number two, if I remember correctly. It did, and it made it to number two while being banned. I worked in radio at the time, and we were not allowed to play that song. It was like new. No, oh, no, and, no, 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 no. yeah, and Casey Kasem wouldn't say it on the charts. Like he would not say the title <laughs> of that song. He would say the new song by George Michael. You had to do it, Casey Kasem's always coming up the uh, the new song from George Michael. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> The voice of the voice of Shaggy on Scooby Doo. Oh, that was Casey Kasem. That's right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Casey Kasem <laughs> was the voice of. Sh I, I, just, I wish he would just do Shaggy when he did the top forty. Well, that's right. That would have been great. 
<laughs> yeah, but George, I mean, that's that's breaking down doors. I mean, and the video, the video was certainly risque too, right? Oh, the, absolutely, absolutely, oh, absolutely. And you know, uh, we know that. I think you know this because we've talked about this in the past. But yeah. one of my favorite is the MTV Unplugged uh, special by George Michael. What a concert! Incredible. Yeah, it's again, it's it's uh, he took a format or or um, yeah, format, and he he did he made it his own. You know. Yeah, and for um, those who haven't seen it, like it's it just watch it, folks, because uh, there's George sitting in the middle, and he's got all his bandmates and singers in a circle around him. It is so fantastic, and um, you know the live uh, version is on Spotify, actually, Aaron. I'm not sure if you knew that from that show. Well, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm going to look it up right now, and if it is, I'm going to put some of that music on. You know, and I just I don't know about you, Tony. I just think to myself, what would he be doing today? Because he was he was mixing genres long before anyone else was. He was incorporating a bit of rap here and there. He was incorporating different kinds of music, and I just can't one I can't help but wonder what he would be doing today. Like I, it, it was such, you know, such a horrible waste for this. He was brilliant. So, well, that's right. You and know, you know, fifty three, right? What a what a loss. Oh, terrible, 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 terrible. And the, the other album you want to look out for, by the way, is an album called Symphonica, where he it was all, it's a beautiful album. Just if you ever get a chance, that's good. So I'm going to put some stuff on here for George Michael fans. So enjoy the playlist, folks. And now uh, let's take a look at what you picked for the, well, the Billboard charts. What did you pick here? Well, I thought I'd go the, um, the top five albums because, you know, they're <laughs> Once again, thank you, Billboard. Uh, number five is the soundtrack to Trolls. That's a classic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> number four is Little Big Town, The Breaker. Here's a guy, number three, Bruno Mars, 24K Magic. I took my daughter to see him um, a long time ago. He puts on one hell of a show. You know what? Saying. I love that guy. Uh, Bruno Mars is carrying the music industry on his back right now. I, I'm just saying. I agree. And his new band is simply amazing. Yep. The number two album is a, is a guy named Future, and he also has number one. So number two is Future by Future. Number one is Future and Hendrix. I guess you pronounce it Hendrix. It's H-N-D-R-X-X. Yeah. I'm going to be full full transparency here. Don't know the guy's music that well, so but you know. You know what's interesting, though, is Little Big Town. Have you ever heard those guys? Yeah, sure. So that's a country act, but it snuck into the charts at number four. That's uh, that's really interesting. Well, you got a kids album, a country album, a rhythm and blues album, or or, or pop, and then you have kind of really heavy rap. You know, like it's it's a very mishmash of things, right? Oh, exactly. And speaking of heaviness, you know what? All this talk about George Michael has made me ready for a break. What about you? <laughs> As long as it's swinging, yeah. Yeah, you know what? Let's do a commercial break, and I found a classic commercial from 1961. So You did. You did indeed. We'll be right back. Enjoy Budweiser beer while you do. Where there's life, there's life. 
Budweiser, the king of beers. Sure. 1967 was certainly a year that rock and roll changed forever for a few reasons. One being, of course, Sgt. Pepper. The other one being the Summer of Love, but also the antithesis of Summer of Love, which was the Velvet Underground from New York City, who formed in 64. They released their debut album, Tony, on March 12, 1967, the Velvet Underground and Nico. And of course, Nico was not officially a member, but she kind of was. And the album was allegedly produced by Andy Warhol. I say allegedly because um, John Cale has certainly challenged that. I mean, I think all he did was sit in the control room and go, that's lovely. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, yeah, for sure. There, uh, you know, he was in name only really involved with that. But well, uh, he also broke down doors for the band, right? I mean, he got them. Well, I guess you could say he got them attention. Well, that's right. His name and his money enabled that that project to be made. But this is one of those um, releases that has been listed, you know, as one of the most influential records in history, but didn't sell well at first. The the stats are are staggering here. When when I I couldn't believe this that in its first five years, this record only only moved thirty thousand units. I tell the joke, the Brian Eno joke. Oh yeah, well the Brian Eno joke, right? Was that. Uh, Brian Eno said, you know, it only sold 30,000 copies, but every single one of those 30,000 people started a band. <laughs> He's not wrong. No. He's really not wrong. He's and, not wrong. And when you listen to this album, I mean, this, it truly is groundbreaking. Uh, how many genres does this thing foreshadow? You know, punk, indie, uh, alternative. Uh, it's it's crazy right and how many artists in 1967 were writing songs about heroin you know um it's 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 it was light years ahead of its time uh, and and I'm, i mean i'm a huge 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 fan of lou reed and um lou reed and john kale and uh yeah i think they only did the one album together i think kale left shortly after this album or after the second one started recording it but it's a brilliant and the, and the cover i mean okay warhol did do the cover a beautiful cover you know yeah absolutely and that's the iconic cover right the the yellow banana painting and then it says <laughs> peel slowly and enjoy or something what is what's the wording there i can't remember uh, that says oh, peel slow yeah peel slowly and see that's right which has multi multi layers of meaning and then underneath was a pink peeled banana but you know andy warhol uh yeah, he put the money together for this band. He had them play at his art collective. It was called The Factory, and he financed this project. And, of course, you're right when you said that he, he basically sat there and gave thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, and if he liked it, they just went with it, right? But uh, Well, you know, you talk about Warhol and the, and the band Velvet Underground, and you look at the word, you know, they named The Factory, spawned a label in England called Factory Records, which, of course, has New Order, Joy Division. I mean, it, it, the influence for the 80s underground or alternative scene was incredible. I mean, you got all the bands name-checking Velvet Underground, Echo and the Bunnymen, The Cure, all these people in the 70s or 80s, and some in the 70s as well. But, um, yeah, and it, and it didn't sell. And, it, and, and actually original presses of this album with the peeling banana are worth thousands or hundreds oh yeah i'm i'm sure they are and they're like i'm just looking at the track list here now you know um heroin like you said what a song i mean and it's not uh, it doesn't skirt around heroin use i mean it talks pretty graphically about uh 
what that drug does. And there's some odd tracks too. the way it ends at the end with European sun. You hear these tracks and you think, wow, that sounds like this that came 10 years later or 15 years later. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was literally and there's one track on the album, which was kind of kind of dark humor. Uh, I'm trying to think of trying to get the name of it because I want to get the name right. Um, I guess it's on their second album where it's the gift. It's okay. on the second album. But yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, Japan covered all tomorrow's parties. I mean, it was, it was just one of those iconic records. Now I was fortunate to see John Cale in, in 2018. I visited my daughter in, in New York and we went to the Brooklyn Academy of Arts, BAM. And I guess it's Brooklyn Museum of Arts, BAM, whatever it's called. <laughs> and John Cale performed the entire first Velvet Underground album with help from Kurt Vile, MGMT, and a, a number of very odd New York bands. Well, and you know, I love the, the Lou Reed and Andy Warhol story, too. Did You, you saw that in the notes, right? Where uh, yeah. Warhol approached Lou Reed and he said, okay, what do you guys want to do with the band, you know? Because do you want to be doing this, like playing in, in the, the uh, art collective? Or do you want to be moving on and... And uh, Lou Reed's response was, well, we'd like to move on, so you're fired. <laughs> and he fired him. Yeah, that's a typical <laughs> Lou Reed move. <laughs> I mean, let's, 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 let's look at Lou Reed and think, yeah, that's, that's kind of his, his um, yeah, I could see Lou doing that. And, and yet, years later, after Warhol died, John Cale and Lou Reed did that amazing, and I just love the album. It's called Songs for Drella. And Drella was uh, Andy Warhol's nickname, short for Cinderella. And uh, it was, it, it was, it's unflinching, much like the first Velvet Underground album. They actually read quotations from um, Andy Warhol's diaries, where he's saying things like, not Lou Reed, I hate him for what he did. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a very ground, that album too is very groundbreaking. But anyways, but the first Velvet Underground album it's, um, I wish I had an original copy. I don't have a repress, but it's a great album. Oh, it is a fantastic album. And I stand corrected. John Cale left after the second album, oh, White okay, Light, White okay. Heat. So just just because I sometimes... But if you ever want to hear something rather dark, on the second album, there's a song called The Gift, where John Cale tells a story about a guy that mails himself to his girlfriend. It's very funny, very oh, dark. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, what did you pick for, uh, for your Billboard uh, charts here? Well... I went top seven albums, and I tell you why I did seven instead yeah. of five is because number seven is The Temptations. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. So yeah, tying it all in. Yeah, I'm learning from you from the uh, their album called Greatest Hits. Number six is Frank Sinatra. That's life. You know that song. We absolutely do, Rick and I. That's part of our set list. Yep. I'd love to hear that. Number five, the I guess it's probably banned off radio right now. The soundtrack to Doctor Shivago. Um, <laughs> Just kidding, folks. Just a joke. <laughs> uh, number four is uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, SRO, Standing Room Only. Now, this is interesting. So you got the Velvet Underground album coming out, and number three and number one are both by the Monkees, their first two albums. Number three is the first Monkees album. Number one is the second Monkees album. You couldn't be more polar opposite to Velvet Underground than the Monkees. No, Just absolutely not. Yeah. Could not be. And number two, of course, is the Rolling Stones uh, Between the Buttons. Oh, there you go. But, you know, I thought, like, we couldn't ignore this story because that is uh, the, the Velvet Underground and Nico is, is one of those records that so many groups say, yep, that was what caused us to start, you know. 
Oh yeah, and and it's it's you know it's it's also a very good album. I mean, sometimes you gotta separate the myth from the actual recording, and, and people sometimes forget that it's just a really solid album. It's dark, like it's not a light, fluffy. You wouldn't want to, you want you wouldn't want to play it during a dinner party. No, but, exactly. Um, but it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> you know, so the in-laws over and play Velvet Underground. <laughs> Now, you know, I just said the word brilliant, and that reminded me of something, that we have a little public service announcement. So let's uh, take a break. We do indeed. And we'll be right back. And now, a public service announcement from the Wayback Music Machine. On March the 11th, 1978, French singer Claude Francois was electrocuted while changing a light bulb while standing in his bathtub. Claude Francois, of course, had the 1976 UK hit Tears on the Telephone, but folks, do not change your light bulb while you're standing in the bathtub, please. This has been a public service announcement from the Wayback Music Machine. You see, Aaron, not only do we entertain our fans, but we look out for them as well with some timely advice. Very, very timely advice and very serious, folks. That's right. Don't do that at home, please. (laughs) Don't do that at home, please, kids. So this is our From Memphis to Merseyside moment, and this one is sad, but I think we should look at the more celebratory aspects of his life uh, because, of course, we're talking about the passing of George Martin and... You know what? What can you say? March 8th, 2016, George Martin passed away at the age of 90. But I think most people would agree. uh, No George Martin, no Beatles potentially, right? Well, you know, no Beatles. And and I I mean, let's start with the Beatles, of course. He signed them. Mm -hmm. He signed them to Parlophone Records. He took a chance and said, you know what? He liked them. He didn't know what to do with them, but he signed them. And... Um, he's forever linked to the Beatles, as he should be, because he was, if anyone's, you know, I think there's two fifth Beatles, Epstein and Martin. And we've talked about this. It was the six of them combined that, that worked out perfectly. I do want to mention, too, that he did produce other artists. I mean, he kind of discovered America, the group America. Um, and he worked with Ultravox. And, you know, he produced Paul McCartney's solo hit, um, Ebony and Ivory, and Take It Away, and... Um, Live and Let Die. I mean, this guy, he did music for James Bond films. He produced Cheap Trick, Elton Johnson, India. I mean, he's he was an amazing... And he produced all of the NEMS people. NEMS being Brian Epstein's uh, production... Not production. Um, his group of people. He management, a management group. He had Silla Black and Jerry and the Pacemakers, Billy J. Kramer. All that stuff. It was all George Martin, you know? Yeah, he was a giant. And, you know, I think I guess we should have said Sir George Martin, right? Because he received his knighthood in 1996. But uh, an incredible career, um, an incredible man. And like you said, took a chance on these four young lads after everybody else seemed to be writing them off. Yeah, he he heard something. He heard something in their voices and their in the way they performed. He also really liked their sense of humor. I oh. mean, he was he thought their humor was quite good, right? Yeah, and you know, a Parlophone wasn't was a was a classical label, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was not a rock label. No, and uh, what a match! What a perfect match that was. Did you ever hear the the weird coincidence of um, Paul McCartney? McCartney after Linda passed away did an album of covers. And he did a song called No Other Baby. 
and he knew the song. He didn't even have the record. He just remembered it. So he recorded it. And um, it was only upon recording it that he discovered someone brought him the single. It was produced by George Martin. Oh, wow. He didn't know. It was like, whoa, I didn't know that. But it was <laughs> one of his favorite songs. So there you go. See, world, everything's in circles, man. Everything. Well, there you go. And since you said everything's in circles, I think we're done our road trip because we've made a circle <laughs> around the globe and we're home. We have. I'm but, tired. Uh, oh, me too. But what an excellent road trip this was. And uh, this was number 45. Isn't that hard to believe? It is hard to believe. And what a, it was an excellent trip. And you know what, Tony? I, I, just, so, I just said to you during the break, it's, it's time flies when you and I talk. Like, I just can't believe how fast we go through time well absolutely and uh, you know we're only five episodes away from the magical number 50 we're only a couple of weeks away from the one year anniversary of the show too so that's pretty exciting that's very exciting i'm looking forward to that so yeah and folks you know we can't say enough about you our listeners we appreciate everything you do listening to the show sharing us on social media or just letting us know that you enjoy what we're doing keep doing that and keep spreading the gospel and uh, we will see you next week thanks for listening thanks for listening to our road trip the music was by Rick Denis and if you're enjoying what you're hearing be sure to click the follow or subscribe button in your favorite podcast player. That way you'll be the first to know whenever we release a new episode. How else can people help, Aaron? They can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and check out our website. And if you think we're worth the five stars, please leave us a review. Thanks for hitting the road with us today, and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>